welcome to Rule of Life. Special welcome to Grace. We're so pleased to see you today. Uh, you're very welcome here. Um, Grace, for your benefit and everyone else's, you can help yourself to drinks at the back. You can go to the bathroom whenever you want. You can just, there's a freedom in this space to be relaxed. Um, welcome to Rule of Life. What we're doing here is every month this year, we're revisiting those core values of 24-7 prayer that were so formative to us. Spirits, the spirits that move already. <laughs> More, Lord. So um, we're revisiting those core values of 24-7 prayer that were so formative for us in our early years and still shape us today. And we really wanted to intentionally revisit them as we still sort of are in this corridor out of COVID land um, and moving into a new space for us. So today is creativity again for the second month in a row. It was brilliant to have Matt Long last month. You might remember the piñata hanging from the ceiling here. Um, <laughs> that was great fun. So you're, you know, you can go back and listen to all of those sessions on uh, the website and on Spotify and all of that. Now we're going to introduce Peter. It's really great to have Peter Burton with us for the first time here in Proximity Church. Thanks so much, Peter. Many of you will have been blessed by Peter, whether you knew it or not, maybe, because he would have led, been part of a team that's led you in worship, whether you used to listen to Blue Tree uh, back in the day, or whether you've been to gatherings or wildfires or anything like or ever been to Emmaus Road, where Peter's uh, one of the on the team there, you would have been blessed by Pete's fantastic uh, guitar playing and real heart for worship. Uh, I know I've listened to him in seminars at gatherings like that and been really inspired by the way that he's able to, to gather team and really give his all into um, worshiping God and committing to bringing people in to, to worship God and, and be in the presence of God. It's, it's really great to have him. He's also got a beautiful family. Uh, so he's, he's sacrificing being with his family today which we really appreciate traveling all the way from Guildford uh, and we're really really happy you're here Peter so thanks so much um, I'm going to pray for you and then you can you can lead us yeah God we thank you for this morning God we thank you for for being in the presence of a God who loves to to create and grow and move, to be in the presence of a dynamic God. You don't, you're not a God that just stands still. You're a God that, of movement and you're with us here now. And I just pray for Peter, Lord, as you have inspired him and been speaking to him, that um, yeah, he would really feel like he's able to capture what you're wanting to say to us today. And God, give us attentive hearts and minds to, to be able to take that on uh, and be um, a church that honors you in creativity. Amen. Peter, thank you. Thanks, mate. Thank you. You all right? No, I have been all over the world, and I don't think I've ever actually been to Essex before. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Last. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure I've driven through Essex, but I've never actually stopped in Essex. So this is a, this is a, I've broken a barrier today. Thank you very much. Um, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to tell you everything I know about Essex, but it's probably embarrassingly little. Yeah. This is where Adele's from, isn't it? That's, isn't that like, that's like, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's getting worse. No, stop. Russell Brand, there we go. So anyway, it's a, it's a first for me. Um, 
Well, yeah, it's great to, to be here, excited. I've heard lots about this community over the years from the, the days of the, the vision course. Does that everybody know what the sort of, the, yeah. And, and the students who, you know, lived in Guildford all sort of disappear off to this mysterious boiler room in Essex. And uh, I never got the chance to come. So it's, it's great to be here and, and see all of you and see some familiar faces, uh, some new ones as well. Scott assured me that he, they weren't leaving because I'm speaking. They're <laughs> the part, partner, they're going on holiday. I mean, I'll, I'll find out later, I guess. Um, so yeah, talking about creativity, and um, Charles gave me sort of carte blanche to, to sort of take my own angle on this. Interesting note, if anybody from 24-7 is listening, there's literally nothing online about what the values actually mean. I'm pretty good at Googling and um, <laughs> couldn't find anything. So we're, we're, going, we're, we're going with a slight um, creative approach to creativity today, um, if that's okay. And what I want to do today is... Um, when I heard it was a learning Sunday, initially I was like, brilliant, because I'm quite a logical, you know, person, I think, sort of, I, I'm a teacher when it comes to this stuff, as opposed to like the, the preacher, you're not going to get me sort of stamping my feet and, and shouting and all of that kind of stuff. I'm much more, I like to guide people gently and logically through things. But the funny thing about creativity, right, is that in a way it's sort of good creativity, you should kind of defy the rules and defy the sort of things that make sense. And so the more I was thinking about it, I'm like, I don't really know how to actually structure a teaching talk around creativity. And I just felt this draw to talk today about beauty. And so my goal today is to hopefully have you leave more excited and more inspired to sort of seek out beauty in your life, whatever that uh, might look like for you. So what I mean by that is, is um, and I'm going to use a lot of like different terms and metaphors and sort of vague language to draw this out because it's actually like an unnameable thing. So we, when we encounter true beauty, it does something to us that we can't quite put our like minds and our hands on, right? So when you think about a, a piece of music that moves you, and I, I mean genuinely, I don't mean just any old song, I mean like those things that really touch something deep within you, or um, I know for a lot of people like a really good movie, right, does that, the Shawshank Redemption, right, being one of those ones. When we pray, right, when we, when we encounter that, the other, right, there's, there's a word for it, the otherness of life, the mystery, um, when, when the, the things that are sort of vague and unnameable become incisive and sharp all in a moment because a beautiful conversation with someone or a beautiful um, poem, you know, all of these different things that kind of bring us into touch with the stuff that we actually, you know, most of our lives we're busy and we kind of wake up and we make a coffee and we get on with the day and so much of living is kind of just keeping going sometimes. But those, those you know, those moments, right? Maybe it's you go for a walk and you sit and you see the sunset. Those, you understand where I'm going? All those different things that kind of give us a welcome Jesus um, <laughs> that was actually a theologically incorrect joke because as we're about to read Jesus is the visible part of the Trinity <laughs> so that's kind of where we're, we're going today that's and, and I'm intentionally being a little vague about that um, so I've got a couple of texts that I'd love to use to sort of springboard us into this topic. So the first one, if you want to turn it up in your Bible or it will um, come up on the screen, is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And um, I'm going to read this. I'll actually just read it off the screen. Yeah. <clears throat> so Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things are, were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't that stunning? This to me is one of the like mountaintop moments of the New Testament, indeed of, of the whole Bible. And this is actually, can I do the sort of, I'll do the three, four, five minute sort of Bible study part. It's optional. Do you want it? Okay. I, yeah, I think it's always good to do that. So this, 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 these uh, six verses are actually a hymn or a poem from the early church. They're not just part of the letter that Paul has written. They actually sit distinct from that. So in your Bible, they will just look like part of the text, but they are actually part of a hymn or a poem. It's possible that Paul composed it as he was writing this letter. It's actually more likely that this was something that was in circulation in the early church. And so this is a really amazing glimpse of the early church's understanding of who Jesus uh, was as they were trying to make sense of this. And um, uh, Colossae that Paul was writing this letter to had, had a real issue with, with what we would call syncretism. And the Christians there were allowing all kinds of other influences, whether religious or secular, to infiltrate their understanding of what the gospel was. And so Paul, right at the outset of Colossians, just lays out this incredibly incisive, um, sharp, precise um, little poem hymn about who Jesus Christ is. And I think you'll agree it still is like a stunning thing to just read through. There's so much in it and I'm not, you know, the, the point of this isn't to unpack all of this, but just to kind of get you going with this little passage, this word image, right? What does that conjure up in your head? What else is described as the image in the Bible? Yep, right, so, so Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, and so immediately you're getting this. It's the same word, and the icon is the Greek word there. The sun is the image of the invisible God, and the, the, the word image carries with it this sense of like visibility, so, so Jesus becomes real to us, visible. He makes the invisible visible. The firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn could imply that it's temporal, that it's, it's about Jesus actually being born. But of course, we know that not to be true. Israel is described as the firstborn of God. And so with that, it carries the sense of like, of, you know, the older brother, the one that gets the inheritance, the one that is more important. It carries with it this sense of, of importance. So that's what firstborn means. In him, all things were created. And that, that's, as you'll see that this phrase, all things comes up a whole bunch in this poem. Paul's really trying to hit home here that you know, Christianity, Jesus, it's not just some little answer to some little problem over here. It's like everything was created by him, through him, and for him, and in him, all things hold together. And that's kind of, that's a difficult thing actually to sit and like think about because not all things are good, right? And so you have to work out, well, what, what does Paul mean by that? Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Now, annoyingly, um, Paul uses this language several times throughout his writing, but he's never very, very specific about what he means by thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. I think it's a mixture of, um, you know, authorities, right? Like the worldly governments and political systems. I also think it carries with it the fact that he said visible and invisible, this sense of the institutions and the, the collective kind of evil of the world that Christ sits above all of these things. All things have been created through him, and for him. So he's the agent of creation as well. So he's, again, the early church was very much trying to work out, well, how can God be more than one? You know, the Jewish faith is very clear that 
it's monotheism, God is, is one, and yet somehow they're trying to work out now how Jesus can be God as well. And so by saying that all things were made by him, Paul is putting Jesus Christ right there as God. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. Um, and then we move into like the second half. So the first half of the poem is about creation, right? And now we move into the second half of the poem, which is about recreation. And again, this word firstborn comes up. He's the firstborn again, but this time it's from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, my friends back at Emmaus get bored of me because I talk about, I love this passage, I talk about it all the time. And, but for me, it's such a helpful springboard, right? It's like, it's, it's this callback to who Jesus is in reality because we often just let our mind and our heart wander away and we, Jesus suddenly becomes what we want him to be rather than who he really is. And it's, it's, it's beautiful passages like this that call us right back to the reality of who Jesus really is. So that's the first passage, first little text that I'd love to use today. And um, you'll notice there that these themes of creation and recreation, as well as this idea of reconciling back to God, all things. So those are some of the ones I want to take forward. Now, the next thing I'm going to read, I've never done this before. It feels kind of nerdy, I'll be honest. I'm going to read a poem. And I've discovered, you know, when you're like a teenager, no offense to any teenagers present who love poetry, but, you know, when you're at school, you're like, poetry, like, come on, like, really? And at the uh, ripe old age of 30, I can tell you now that I absolutely love poetry. Um, I've kind of fallen in love with it over the past few years. Um, so I'm going to read this poem, and then we'll talk a bit about that as well. And these two texts, again, I'm kind of moving around the subject a little bit, but I'm trying to just tease out our, our minds and our hearts as we look at this whole topic of beauty. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, you, you can put it up. And I'll read it out. Here it is. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. That's uh, by a poet called Gerard Manley Hopkins, who lived in the sort of middle of the 1800s, and he was a Jesuit priest, um, as well as obviously an amazing poet. Um, and it's interesting, as I read that out, he was a kind of this um, pioneer of a type of poetry that uses, it's called like a, sw um, a sprung rhythm. And so even reading it out, it's, it's interesting the way it, it's not just like a, you know, roses are red, violets are blue. There's a really interesting depth to what he's actually doing with words there. Now, what is this poem about? And this is the beauty of poetry. You have to read it a bunch of times. And I'd encourage you, you know, go and, go and look that up and, and become familiar with it if it appeals to you. It's actually Eugene Peterson was a huge fan of this poem, and that's how I find, found my way to it. 
But what's really going on here in this poem is that he's saying that we each have something unique about us to offer into the world. So what's he say that kingfishers do? They catch fire. So have you seen, you know, a kingfisher looks like? Like it's really, really vibrant, bright blue. And so the sunlight reflects off its feathers. It catches fire, right? And that's, that's one of the beauties of the kingfisher. And similarly with dragonflies, they catch the light. They draw a flame. Stones, you know, if you, if you toss a stone, it tumbles over the rim of a well, right? In the way that nothing else will do. You know that noise that it makes, right? There's a unique thing that it's doing there. A tucked string, right? That's a violin. Tucked is just his word of, you know, like playing or, or, or plucking a string. A bell, a church bell, the bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. So this idea that everything has a purpose, everything has a unique thing about it that only it can do that nothing else can do. And then in the second half, he moves on to us, right, to, to humanity. And this sense that we are in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so Christ is in each of us. And it's as we go about life that we experience more of Christ in meeting other people. Of course, we, we can have experiences of the Lord um, in other things as well. But, you know, I really believe that one of the primary ways that we encounter God in this world is through others, right? He brings um, people around us. And so we experience Christ um, who plays in 10,000 places. I absolutely love that line. And uh, so those, those are two poems, essentially. The, the first one is, is divided over whether it could be a hymn or a poem, but either way, it's sort of um, much of a muchness. And um, a poem's kind of, the, the style of a poem conveys an abundance of meaning. You have to work at it, you have to tease it out. And that's why I love it. It's not written, you know, like if someone writes a report on something, the idea is to factually record every event that happened at every time. And, and very much, you know, post-enlightenment, we are trained to think like that, even when it comes to our relationship with God and with others. Everything has to be very sort of scientific. And even in ways that we don't actually notice, it's the culture that we're part of, you know, fish and water. And we do try to reduce a lot of things to... Um, you know, the intellectual and to, to the logical, which again is brilliant. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what I love about things like good poetry, good creativity, good art, is that it moves beyond that. You can't account for it, right? My, my dad is a, what did he just turn like 68? He's an accountant most of his life. So he, he have this like white Northern Irish accountant and he loves Carlos Santana, which is like kind of, you know, I'm trying to think of a, an appropriate word to use, but it's central sort of Latin rock music, right? It's, you know, it's, it, on paper, it doesn't make sense, but something about Carlos Santana's music just like moves my dad as he listens to it. And one of the reasons I sort of, I think I gravitated towards the guitar, right? And that's the beauty, right? It doesn't always make sense, right? It's not logical, you, you know, but there's something about it that does something, um, you know, in his, his imagination, his heart as he listens to that. So, um, what, I, what I want to suggest, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing two halves here. We're, the, right now, we're talking about the mission of, of beauty, of creativity. Like, why are we doing this? And then the second half, I'm going to talk a little bit about the method of how I think we go about um, partaking in beauty and creating it ourselves. And so we join in with this reconciling of all things that we read about in Colossians. You know, the, the, the mission of Christ is to reconcile all things back to God through what he's done on the cross. 
And we join in with that mission of reconciling all things by imitating Christ, who, as we find out in our poem, is in each of us, Christ who plays in 10,000 places. We go about becoming many creators, right? And I'm, I think the word creativity is kind of a contentious one. And so I'm going to talk more about creating and creators than creativity, because creativity is like a character trait. Now, what do we think someone, oh, they're very creative. What does that usually mean? They can paint, musical. Oh, it's that stuff. It's kind of the it's the it's one layer down. It's not like, and so I think sometimes talking about creativity can be dangerous because someone who is not an artist or a musician or a writer or in some other way creative by the way that we define it, they can feel like they're left out of this conversation, and that's actually totally not the point. And so I think even talking about creativity can be dangerous if that's what we're thinking about. And so one of my encouragements. I think that Christians need to be better at is abandoning this kind of shallow cultural conception of what creativity is. I remember um, they, they don't do stuff now, but do you remember the band Gunger? Yeah. Christian band, right? And I loved them, right? They, they were sort of releasing stuff right when I was in, into all of that. And, and he's you know, incredibly musical, like just doing stuff that no other sort of Christian bands were doing. And everybody described, oh, they're very creative, right? But interestingly, he, and he's a very sharp guy, Michael Gunger, he said well, the insinuation there is that all the other stuff isn't, right? It's, you see what happens like if we... And so the danger of calling things creative or saying, oh, they're very creative, is that we're implying that everybody else isn't, the other stuff isn't. Now, that is true with some Christian music, I'll be honest. Um, and uh, we can do a whole, if we do some questions there, we can talk about, um, I have many thoughts <laughs> on all of that stuff, as you might imagine. But I just, I just think, you know, I want to sort of put that little post in the ground, like I think we need to abandon that idea that creative, you know, and even with children, when we talk about them, I'm very conscious of that now that I've got two children of my own and, you know, oh, they're very creative or they're very this or very that. And it can box them in very, very quickly. And we have to be careful of that. And so, you know, not all musicians are creative, news alert. Some of them are just very good imitators. They're not actually creative. Um, some business people are incredibly creative. Just because they wear a suit to work and they don't make art does not mean they're not creative, right? Raising a family demands a lot of creativity, as anybody who has tried that will know. A lot of creative energy to, to raise kids and to keep them entertained. Anytime you pray, earnestly and in the spirit of God, you, you can be creative as you're, do you understand this is such a, it's such a bigger thing than just, oh, they're good at painting or drawing or, or, or playing the piano or whatever. So, you know, abandoning this kind of shallow sense of, of what creativity um, might be. So we're going to take an intermission, but don't worry, I still have a plan for the intermission. So you can pop that, that picture up. I've abandoned the sort of aesthetic beauty of the rest of my slides on this one, and this one's just kind of crazy. And there's a reason I've, I've chosen all of those pictures. That's actually a kingfisher on the top right. Um, just grab a little water, because it's only still a bit hot for me, if I'm, I can be honest. The Monday and Tuesday were not good days. <laughs> Cinder Christie on the drive here, it's like it doesn't look like the UK anymore. It looks like northern Spain. All the green, all the green grass is sort of yellowed and browned, and... Um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't put loads of money into the lawn this year. Now, what I'd love to do, um, um, it's not really an intermission. I'm going to keep teaching for a little while. 
with sort of a break in the thought, and we're going to come back. So that was the mission we've talked about. Does everybody feel like they have a bit of an understanding of, of the mission, right? And we're going to talk a bit about the method after this. And what I want to do now for a little while is just share um, on vessels and treasure. Now, this is a, a sort of metaphor that I love to use, and Jill Weber and I talk about this a lot. Vessels and treasure. So let me, let me think of an example. Um, take, take a song, right? The vessel is the way it's packaged and the way it's um, put together and the sounds that you hear, but the treasure might be the lyrics, right? Do you understand there's a, there's a distinction between the two? Of course, the, the, the real metaphor is, the, is a treasure chest, right? The, what's really important is what? The gold coins inside. What's not that important is the wooden case, but you need the wooden case to, to protect it, to look after it, to take it around. You, you understand the sort of the analogy of so vessels and treasure. And I think this is a really, really helpful way of um, thinking about how you engage with, I mean, with everything, the world around you, discerning what you engage with. And that's a little bit about what this section is about. I want us to think about how we actually engage with things and how we are discerning in that. Now, the vessels are important, but they're not the point. Okay, so you don't get excited when you find, you know, if I was a pirate and I found buried treasure, I don't get excited about the wooden chest. I get excited about the treasure, but the vessels are important. Now, there's a whole different bunch of ways to think about this. Sometimes you have good vessels, but there's no treasure inside, or the treasure inside isn't worth very much. And that could be um, a pop song, right? A song that's catchy. It could be a McDonald's, right? Things that are like instantly gratifying, um, but they're actually not that good for you. They don't really give you very much nutrition, right? The song's catchy, but actually after you've heard it five times, you've heard everything that it could ever say to you and you move on, right? Ed Sheeran. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. I promise I said, Lord, I'm not going to like sort of trash things that I don't agree with, but anyway. <laughs> But honestly, a lot of the music and movies and media that our culture is obsessed with fall into this category. So the Avengers movies, amazing vessel, right? Like, wow, you watch it and it's like mind-blowing. It's the same old kind of, it's a bad version of the same old good versus evil story and they just keep making spin-offs. They're great movies, but they're, you know, to me, I'm like, I'm not going to go away and think about it three days later. Do you understand what I mean? Like, it's a great way to spend two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you, yeah if, you, if you have the rights to those movies, you'll have a lot of treasure. Um, you, and my heart here is not to sort of criticize things. And, and, and again, with this stuff, we will all have different vessels and things that we engage with. But I'm just trying to tease this out. And you have to think about what it might look like for you. Good vessel, bad treasure. Now, you could have a bad vessel, but good treasure inside of it. And this is the way I think a lot of people think what the Bible is, including a lot of Christians, sadly. It's kind of this like dusty, boring, really long, really complicated book. But I think most people would agree that, oh yeah, no, there's some, there's some good wisdom, good teaching, good sort of moral value in that. Now, of course, we know when you get into it, the Bible is an amazing vessel as well because of the literature and the way that it's put together and all of that stuff. Um, that's the way I think a lot of people might think about something like the Bible. Now, the worst kind, of course, would be a bad vessel with bad treasure. And, you know, we don't even need to talk about that, but there's all kinds of things that would fall into that category. And sadly, a lot of people will just spend their lives engaging with bad vessels that have bad treasure inside of them. Now, what's the dream combination? A good vessel with 
good treasure inside of it, okay? And what I'd love to do is just spend a couple minutes and we can take our time over this. I could talk all day about examples of this, so I'll offer a couple, but I'd love a few people to come and share what a good vessel with good treasure in it is for you, something that is life-giving, something that brings you into touch with the other, something that reaches deep inside you and kind of defies your ability to explain it. You understand? You shouldn't, that's the point. <laughs> um, um, so are people up for that? Would a few, yeah. So should I share a couple of examples just to, yeah. So um, I'll start with music. Um, I have a, a friend, and I can't say his name because he keeps his personal life very s separate from his musical life, but he's very successful. He's a, a singer-songwriter in the sort of electronic genre. And his artist name, if you want to look it up, um, is Kinship, K-I-N-N-S-H-I-P. He loves the Lord. Um, his music is unbelievably brilliant and his lyrics are so poignant and so insightful that I just it's some of the greatest music I own I feel like you know when I look through my iTunes library or whatever it is it's like it's it's treasure right it's it's so much deeper and more profound than so many of the other things now you might listen to it that that's not the point I'm just trying to share with you what what I think good vessel and good treasure is and so it's beautifully crafted music like stunning just sort of immediately as soon as most of his songs come on you just sort of you know, those things, you can't just have them on in the background. Beautifully creative sort of um, beats and sounds and production. And his lyrics are just beautiful. And he's someone who's trying to work out how to love Jesus and love others in the midst of life. And he's purposely not doing like church music. He's doing stuff that anybody will listen to. And that, I think, is such an amazing mission that he's called to. And um, people, I guarantee, will ask him questions wherever he goes. Like, how did you come up with that song or that title or that lyric? Like, it's so moving. So that for me is an example of a good vessel and good treasure. I could talk about um, I could talk about the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, which for me is one of the most like stunning pieces of literature that is ever existed um, in, in human history. And people who are outside the church will agree with me. Ecclesiastes, the influence of Ecclesiastes pops up everywhere. There's so many little like colloquialisms and Shakespearean type things that actually originate from. Ecclesiastes. Um, has anybody read Ecclesiastes recently? It's a stunning book. And it's, I think part of the, the, the beauty of Ecclesiastes is that it appeals to people who would have want nothing to do with Jesus or the church. It expresses those like deep, deep things that we all feel at different points in our life, but the church isn't very good at talking about sometimes. Let me just, let me just read a little bit of Ecclesiastes to you. Um, it's hard to pick a bit that I like the best. Let me read this one. This is from Ecclesiastes 1. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Very appropriate this week. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. That's just one example. Now, of course, Ecclesiastes has a fairly heavy tone as a book, but there's, there's all kinds of stories. I've, I've done a few essays on Ecclesiastes and 
things like soldiers um, coming back from Vietnam. It's the only part of the Bible that they could listen to or read, right? It's, it's, it does something. It, it, it's naming something that people feel that most things are not very good at naming. It's incredibly profound. It's a good vessel. It's beautifully written. Even in an English translation, it carries poignancy. But it's great treasure, right? And, and there's, I mean, that's a whole other thing of how you can find the gospel in a book like Ecclesiastes. Any more? Or does somebody else want to share one now? Should I do? You want to go? Go for it. Uh, I immediately thought of uh, Quok's great partnership with the Lord in growing the, uh, the sweet corn, particularly came to my mind, a beautiful vessel. Uh, and the treasure inside is was awesome. This is the nicest corn I've ever eaten from the allotment. So make sure you grab quacks, potatoes, and red currants and uh, Chinese chives at the back. <laughs> to be honest, I can talk all day about the allotment. <laughs> I mean, what a concept, the allotment. I mean, that, I think the history of allotment, it was instituted by government in this country that if more than six people wanting to have a bit of land and grow things, you are entitled to it. Now, the whole concept about having a bit of land that is not yours, but you're stewarding it. And during COVID, it all came into its sort of own, doesn't it? Everything was closed. The allotment was opened. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the treasures, we know what the treasures are, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's all that nurturing, a lot about patience, you know? A bit of hard work, the treasures is that you can share that with people. And um, you don't even have to spend a lot of money on it. We get the muck from a local farm <laughs> delivered to the doorstep. And that stuff is full of life, <laughs> you know, and water from the sky. I've got these like 3,000 gallons tanks that collects rainwater. And they've been cutting water because of this hot weather. They, they alternate the plot. You know, one day you have water, another day you have no water. But these tanks were full of water. So, so you know, it doesn't affect me. If anything, I could put a sign up, water for sale. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't. But anyway, yeah, you know what the treasures are. There's a little bit of um, stuff to take. Well, the first, first thing that came to my mind was Charles, because I thought she's a vessel for the baby that she is carrying inside her. And that was a real treasure. So that was, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in, in a way, those are like the two ultimate examples of this, like people and the, the earth that God has given us. What was your name, sorry? Quack. What One of the things that I think is so important with this, when you find someone who is passionate about something, and that's, that's kind of like reaching the unnameable, someone who's just a crafts person at whatever it is that they do. They, they come alive when you talk to them about their allotment or about their favorite album or about their favorite piece of art or the way that they are engaging with their business. You know, that's that sense of vibrancy that some people have when they talk about the thing that the Lord has put in them. Christ is playing in them, right? There's that sense that they are becoming this vessel 
um, through which all kinds of creativity will issue forth. Anyone else? Yep. Me. I thought I wasn't going to get my chance then. I was getting really... <laughs> um, just for me, I've, I've got a film that I really love. Um, so that's the vessel, I guess. So the treasure is The Mission. It's a film called The Mission. And it's an sto amazing story of um, salvation and grace and redemption. And I really love the music in it as well. The music is, um, is Ennio, Ennio something. Oh, I did write it down. Ennio, I can't remember his name, but he's a really, he's died actually. <laughs> he's dead, but he's a famous um, composer for films. But the whole, the way it's all constructed um, is one of the best films. And I always, if ever we have students come, I'll say, oh, one afternoon we're going to watch The Mission because I'm in charge so we can get to do it. So it's, it's just like encompasses everything for me. And um, yeah, I always cry. It's brilliant. <laughs> Beautiful. Anyone else? I was just um, thinking, I struggle, when people ask me like what you do in your spare time and those sorts of things, I really, really struggle because I like to be productive and then, so I struggle with those sorts of things. But something that we always make time for, Christy and I, is to go see my family in Sheffield. And I, I can't tell you just the joy that my nieces and nephews give me. Um, and when we were last up, uh, my niece is three, and Christy had been playing with her on the trampoline um, and then he had to go do some work. And then I, I was with her and my sister was with her. Um, so two aunties and this, this uh, Robin, my niece, and she fell over and she was really, really upset. And so my other sister picked her up and was giving her a cuddle. But she said, where's, where's Uncle Christy? I want Uncle Christy. And so, <laughs> so Christy was sitting at the desk and so Robin goes in and sits on, and all, all she wanted was, was Christy. And just the, the beauty of that, you, you can't be just the, the love of a, of a child, I think. So that's, that, that is a vessel for me and, and beauty. Yeah, in a way that a child is kind of like the ultimate beauty, you know, the, the, um, the sort of untarnished innocence, right? I love, there's a thing, um, I read this in a Dallas Willard book, but about how, you know, as we grow up, as we become adults, we become very good at hiding our emotions and so our face doesn't actually reflect what we're feeling inside whereas a child doesn't have that ability it's 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 transparent right you you know I certainly know with my kids how they're really feeling like they have this there's, there's this beautiful innocence about them as well as obviously they're just so cute you know you just want to grab them um we could talk about this all day, right? There's, there's, you know, and I, I'm hoping that as we're teasing these things out and as you hear what other people are sharing, you're starting to think of more things. I actually thought on the way here, um, as I was thinking about this, there's a particular novel um, that I, I can't remember even what, I think it was like 99p on Kindle one day and I thought I'll give this a go. And it, it was such a beautiful experience. I read it uh, two summers ago when my son Xander was born. So as you know, you sort of have the tiny newborn in your shoulder and Kindle in one hand. I know you're up at all hours. Um, and so I read it. It's a short novel. It's called A Month in the Country uh, by, I think the author is J.L. Carr. And um, it's basically about a soldier who's come home from the First World War. It's set in like 1919 or 1920, some, sometime around then, in a little village in the north of England. And basically he's, he's kind of going through like a PTSD. And this novel was written before things like PTSD would even properly have been culturally acknowledged. Um, 
and essentially, you know, he had trained in sort of um, art excavation, and so he was hired to do this little job. It's his first thing he's done since he's come home from the, the horrors of, of war, um, to basically uncover a um, fresco on a, the ceiling of a little church um, in a village in the north of England, and it's, it was whitewashed over, and so he, he's basically, the, the novel is basically him just, you know, working through it. So that's sort of the vessel, if you like. It's that that's the, the story arc. But then the treasure is is the relationships that he develops with the people in that village and with the land and the way that he's uh, respected and treated by some of them. And it's it's this, just this like beautiful little story, and it has really incredibly sort of throwaway little poetic lines as he's engaging with, you know, coming to terms with the, the horrors that he's experienced and yet the beauty that he finds in this little village. Um, and so that's that's one for me that you know I, I feel like. I get sort of emotional almost like thinking about that that little novel that I've read twice but it's just there's something about it that has just got a beauty on it that you know when I read it I feel like I'm in, I'm encountering you know true beauty which is obviously the lord any any other takers yeah go for it nice long table. thank you Another example of um, a vessel could be people like m music leaders in churches or like you preaching the word of God. The, the, the treasure is the, you know, the, the presence of God you feel. At times during music ministrations, you feel the power, the presence. So I think what humans carry as gifts as well you know, it's a good example. Yep. I love that. And I think it's sometimes easy to spot, you know, in people. And I work in primary school and, um, you know, with the children. And some of them, they just don't think they've got any treasure in them at all. But, you know, from our perspective and from God's perspective, you can see it in them and... Yeah, maybe they've been told that they're a rubbish vessel their whole life and they've got nothing of worth in them, but they have. And sometimes it's that perspective maybe. And there can be, you know, invaluable treasure in things that we can't see. Um, and, you know, Kwok was saying how amazing he, he loves when a massive truckload of muck arrives, you know. <laughs> and that's because, you know, Kwok understands, you know, at the allotment, the value of that in the vessel, even though the vessel itself is literally horror rubbish stuff yeah and so that kind of leads into this thought i'm having about one of our tasks then as part of this mission of reconciling all things to god through human you know creativity part of our job is actually the treasure often already exists but it's covered up or it's hidden and part of our job is to call it out and to uncover it and to find it. Now that can be in the ethereal sense of like all music already exists and it's just my job today with this piano or this guitar to sit down and sort of call it out of the, <laughs> the ether. But with a person, right, with these, the, these kids, as, just as an example, or when you're raising a child and you're trying to call out that beauty within them, it's your job, it's, it's you know, Christ plays in 10,000 places. It's like, how do you call Christ out of them? How do we reflect each other? What's that, that line? Um, you know, that sense, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his to the Father through the features of men's faces. 
you know, that's like, it's all there. We are all made in the image of God. That beauty is there, but sometimes it takes a lot of uncovering it. There's a lot of layers that we, that we have to kind of work through before we can call that beauty, that treasure out of each other. And now we're well and truly off any semblance of the topic creativity. <laughs> but do you understand, like, it's, 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 creativity for me is about finding beauty it's sometimes it's about making beauty, whether, you know, if you have a blank canvas and you have a paintbrush, that's, that's obviously a, a sort of obvious form of like bringing beauty out of something that didn't exist. But often it's already there and it's just our job to uncover it and to find it. I was reading earlier about, um, reading this amazing book called Dominion, but it's about how Christianity has shaped the sort of modern West in ways that we don't even really know, including even the sort of like tenets of atheism are based on Christian principles, that idea that it's so sort of um, all-encompassing. But anyway, it's, it's sort of uh, going through all these different amazing stories through the, the church's history. Um, but how they found these texts from Aristotle that had been lost for like centuries, they hadn't actually been lost, they were only in, uh, they were used by the Saracens, so they were, in, in Islam they were used, but Christians hadn't had access to these Aristotelian texts for like many centuries and so they then found them and they did this job of translating them into Latin so that uh, Christians could could study them as well. Aristotle obviously one of the great sort of philosophers. It's, it's almost that sense of like the beauty was already there but they just needed to find it and to sort of you know make it sort of translate it for for us to to see and to understand. <clears throat> so that's kind of that was my little aside about vessels and treasure. And I think that's a helpful, and, and if you find a, a better way, do let me know. But I, I like this idea of like vessels and treasure. I think about it a lot. <clears throat> and I think about, you know, sometimes at eight o'clock at night, once the, the kids are down and you've had a long day, you just want to watch like an Avengers movie, <laughs> you know, and that's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I do think there's a piece of work here. And, and you know, hopefully this doesn't feel self-indulgent talking about music and art and poetry and all the things that, that I love. But what I want to do is, is kind of, you know, help us, like, how do we discern what is actually good? How do we gaze upon true beauty and not just sort of spend our lives going from one thing to the other, you know, reading any old book, watching any old movie or listening to any old music, talking to, you know, and even, again, we can take it into the realm of people. You know, how do we cultivate healthy friendships, like friendships that genuinely call the beauty out of us and that we can call the beauty out of the other people? I have some friendships that they're fun, not really that life-giving, right? And it's, again, that's not necessarily a wrong thing, but it's really important that you also have some of those life-giving friendships as well, uh, those people that are creative in how they treat you as a friend because they know how to ask you insightful questions. They know how to lead you to places in conversation where you come upon things that you wouldn't otherwise come upon. Um, so the mission, the vessels, the treasure, the method of all of this, I felt um, is most appropriately expressed in Psalm 27, um, which is a, a beautiful Psalm, but just pulling out the little part of verse four that, you know, the idea of to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord is this, you know, it's David saying, you know, one thing do I ask, this only do I seek that I might gaze upon your beauty. It's, it's from that. But just this sense of, of I love that, that idea of just gazing upon beauty. There's something about true beauty that demands time and attention, right? It's not something that we just, you know, you're sort of driving past and you see a nice building, but you're gone. True beauty sort of makes you stop and get out of the car and linger for a little while. 
And of course, as Christians, we, we believe that we, we encounter the Lord through prayer and through worship and through reading the Bible um, and through all of the, the sacraments, all, all of the churchy stuff. And that's, but that's not what I want to talk about today because you know that, I know that. What I want to talk about is the stuff that we don't often talk about, which is how do we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the things and the people and the places around us? And being careful not to like over spiritualize like every little tiny thing. I think there, there is definitely, and this is where we have to be quite careful, there has to be quite a high degree of wisdom and discernment in how we go about this because, you know, you have to be alert to all the kind of background cultural messaging that's going on with them. Um, so one example I thought of was, um, obviously I watch a lot of Disney movies now. I have a four-year-old daughter. But some of the messages, the kind of narrative that's going on in a movie like Frozen, um, I'll just use that and I'll not continue. I'll just, it's actually not that good. <laughs> and the lyrics of, the, you know, let it go, let it go, don't hold me back anymore. Um, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And every little girl in the world is sort of belting this song out. That's actually a terrible lesson, a terrible lesson to teach them. And so, I mean, I don't really know how to do it. Now we're sort of in it, but um, I'll, I'll talk to her when she's older. <laughs> About it. But these, these narratives are going in, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. It's, you know, worshipping the self, right? Taking all sense of, um, you know, the gospel of, of, of any kind of sort of framework out of it. And so that's where I think when we talk about um, how we engage with beauty and the things, the people, the places around us, we just, we always have to keep some sense of like guard up and discernment around us understand what I mean by that as I've grown older with some of the music that I you know loved as a teenager I've realized now I wasn't coming from a great place you know I know that I sort of you know yes I'd love to play music like that person but I don't want to be like that person <laughs> they've made horrible horrible life decisions and it's starting to bring this level of discernment it's like yes I can still be blessed and enjoy the the the, the creativity of another but also like being careful not to let it start to influence me in an undue way you know and that's why it's important to find the good vessels that have the good treasure inside them and the things that we engage with at one level i don't know this might seem a bit shallow talking about what you watch on netflix and what you listen to on spotify and um all that but it's actually really important i think you know again the danger of over spiritualizing things is that we forget that it's the practical little everyday things that we do and that we engage with that actually form us over um over years over over time um, so we've got 1230, yeah. 1230. I'd love to do some like just discussion time in groups. Um, and I've written some questions, which Christy can flash up on the screen. There's two different slides that have questions. And, and this is a way, again, these aren't rigid. I just want it to sort of allow you to have some framework to, to tease these things out. But I'd love you to just have, you know, vulnerable and meaningful conversation around the kind of beauty that you engage with in your life. Like, so talk, you know, maybe share a couple of those things that you didn't share earlier. What do you think it is that draws you to those things? Like, why do you feel drawn to those particular things? Talk about, you know, do you think that our world has a healthy relationship to beauty? And I don't mean, you know, obviously beauty in, in the most obvious sense, just is, is physical attraction of, of someone. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a different type of beauty here. Do you think the world, our culture, has a good relationship to true beauty? Do you regularly take time to dwell on the beauty of the Lord? And bear in mind, I, you know, scripture, prayer, 
uh, Christian community, all of that, but also all the other things that we've talked about. And then um, finally, we could talk about, you know, how are you making beauty with your life? Like, where is it? And the, the chances are you're all doing it, but you just might not realize yet certain ways that you're doing it. Like someone that you go and visit, a neighbor, a widow, that you go and, you know, take a birthday card to, you know, all of those, it could be literally anything like that. But I want you to just like try and name it so that you know, oh, that's a way that I'm actually, I'm reconciling all things. So, you know, I'm, I'm joining Christ in this work of reconciling all things to himself by doing that one act of kindness and love that draws out beauty, that uncovers beauty that already exists. So, you know, really, really try and, you know, rack your brain and think about those many ways. And so, you know, for some people, it might be really obvious, like the one amazing business venture that you're part of that is doing something innovative and exciting and that's helping people. But for others, you know, it might be those smaller things. And that's, that's, that's just as valid and important. Um, I got to a place with music where um, sort of ticked all the boxes and sort of achieved my dreams, if you like. I'd played all the big venues and traveled and done all of that stuff. I just wasn't really enjoying it. It's like the 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 vessel was amazing, but the treasure just felt like it wasn't there. Certainly, you know, I I, I looked hard and I wasn't finding it. And it, it took me getting to this place where I started to realize, like me sitting in my house in my little study or whatever, playing the guitar for the sheer enjoyment of it, the sheer like the the beauty that, that of music that the Lord kind of had allowed me to to, to share in. I had to get to a place where I realized that that moment was just as important and actually probably more important than standing on the stage in the Royal Albert Hall or wherever else it might be. Because the, I just, you know, when you put all your stock in the vessel, right, you miss it. You, you end up going to bed wondering like, oh, that wasn't really what I was expecting. You know, whereas it's, it's finding that the, the true treasure of that was actually just the physical act of me playing and making music and and knowing that it was God that had, had had given me that ability. Do you understand? And again, this is hard stuff to like put specific language around because I'm dealing with the sort of unnameable things that we feel, but it took me getting to that place of, of realizing that it was the small, silent, nobody else there. That's where I was, I could find the the treasure. And then if, if you keep that sort of as your North Star, then all the other stuff can be good and you can find treasure in that as well. But when you get the vessel and the treasure mixed up, that's when you end up sort of dissatisfied and you're probably not reconciling all things to God because you're, you're kind of um, guiding yourself. So, um, shall we have some discussion time? All right, should we, uh, should we gather back in? Just, I guess, 10 minutes to um, reflect, share anything from your groups that you think would be helpful for the room. Uh, feel free to throw in any questions, um, not necessarily answered by me, but um, just, you know, general thoughts or musings. Um, yeah, I think it's always good to kind of feed back into these things. Yeah, we talked about um, stopping and gazing and, yeah, being in the moment when we see something like beautiful in creation like going up to the Lake District or being in a beautiful garden or the highlands, the lowlands or, or whatever it is and just gazing on creation. And I, the first time I went to the Lake District and sort of was at a point to see over sort of the lakes and the fells and I just stopped and thought, wow, 
God, this is amazing. You know, you really did a good job here. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, things like that. Or even just being in a garden. Um, I can remember when I lived in London being... Um, in one of the big parks and just sitting uh, on the grass surrounded by all these flowers and just, yeah, being in that moment, like just all the beauty that was around me in creation and just, yeah, reflecting on that and thinking, I, I see all of this and what am I, you know, compared to all of this that I see. But you choose to to dwell in me you choose to have a relationship with me and there's all this amazing beauty around me um that that kind of thing makes me stop and linger yeah really good echoes of psalm 8 there and this is why i love it in stanford when it snows because i have lived in stanford my whole life peter and you get blind to any beauty that there is if you can find it <laughs> you feel like in stanford hope there's not much <laughs> to find but that's why i love it when it snows because when it snows, it's like God just shaking you and everything is suddenly white and it covers a multitude of sins that there are in this place, really, the snow. And suddenly you look even at the park and you're like, wow, look at this park. It looks so nice. Everything looks so much nicer in the snow. And that's like, you know, God covers us white as snow. You know, that's what you're reminded of when you live around it. Uh, Our conversation, we, we got to say the end, but it was where are you making beauty? And we were kind of talking about what does that mean or what does that look like? And um, I shared my one, but I'd love to hear if anyone else came up with another idea because we were struggling to define it at the beginning. Was um, So I said, making beauty for me this year has been in, in a life where I'm so busy and so exhausted and everything's taking my energy. How can I create a space that didn't already exist to meet with God or to relax or to enjoy those things that I can't just see naturally? And... I just was like, all I want to do is lie down. All I want to do is have a nap. And then it meant that I was going to my room and just lying there or lying on the sofa. And I was like, I've got to find another way of doing this. And I bought a hammock online and I start, and we haven't got a garden or any trees in our garden like space. So I just went down to the park and set up a hammock. And it was amazing because people walked past with this judgment and absolute jealousy it was like it was incredible because and I'd like and it was I got a delivery got a bright orange one so people could see that I was there because I didn't want to like camouflage in and people freak out and they find someone sleeping um and it was amazing and I like and I was like oh how am I going to tie this so I don't fall down and I was a bit skeptical of the process but I was like I'm trying to just find a way of creatively making space to rest and that I actually want to go and do it and feels like unusual and oh my gosh, lying in a hammock, staring at the trees and just being the only person in a hammock for probably miles around. But it just, it, it, for me, it felt like a really creative way to, and I was noticing how beautiful all the leaves are. And I, I remember taking it out and it was, it, the seasons were just changing and I was lying there and I'd try and close my eyes and things kept falling on my face because like sycamore seeds were flying down on me and like bugs and leaves and stuff. But uh, I was noticing the beauty because I put myself in a different perspective um, and it's really life-giving and yeah I want to know what other people said for that question how are you making beauty in your life yeah maybe we should reclaim that language of carving out space you know sculpting our diaries to you know to 
make space for the presence of God. Maybe we should, there's something in creating moments and time in our life, uh, even perhaps. Yeah, one other thing we talk about is about holidays, taking holidays and going somewhere new or something like that. I mean, I think generally taking holidays is very good. Uh, Whereby we can just almost like uh, close out everything with, I mean, not close out or what's the word? Being, uh, not being rushed by time and things and just wake up at a time that we see it's good to wake up, go to bed anytime we want to go to bed and things like that. It's, it's really good. We, we've just finishing our two weeks holiday. We didn't go anywhere. We were in, at home and it was really good. Even being at home, not thinking about getting up very early in the morning, prepare for work and come back late in, I mean, in the evening and other things and just uh, crashed out. It's just, really restful and very good doing that. That's one of the things we talk about because when you are on holidays, that's where you, you go, somewhere where you can see all kinds of things or go for work and things. And sometimes you come back to rest from your holidays. <laughs> Rather than just, uh, you can tell we're the extrovert group here. <laughs> Um, one of the things I was thinking is like, how can you cultivate that kind of making beauty in the day to day? So I like, like getting a hammock. It's really interesting you say that because when Matt spoke last week, he talked about how he bought a hammock. Yeah, and he um, just wanted to be held by God. And one another thing that he did that Sally has by chance she's drawn, she's um, painted is um, he he just felt like some when you the, the difference between um, treading water. And floating on water and so so he he really felt like God was speaking to him about that so he went to a local pool I think to a Lido and he did the treading water and then he just floated and he, he said literally what you said about even just changing the perspective the outcome's the same you're still being held but you and you're still floating you, you, you know you're not dying you're not drowning but it's the difference of then the just being held and being held by God and Sally I think you were so I think it's something that God is speaking to us about about actually carving out time and making that space to stop to gaze you know what you were saying about being wooed by God to a spacious place like there there are these invitations for us as a church to gaze upon the beauty of God in amongst the busyness. Like what we do is great. What, what God is doing in us is great, but we miss the opportunities. I was just thinking, you know, when Christy and I have a free evening, often what we'll do is we'll watch telly. Do we take the opportunity to sit down at the table and chat and for me to gaze upon the beauty of Christy's face? No, I do not <laughs> do choose to do that in that time. But actually, or, you know, we were talking about lockdown. There were so many healthy rhythms that came from lockdown just because you had the time. Like, Christy and I would go for a walk often, just round up, like, you know, for half an hour, 40 minutes. We'd have conversations that we wouldn't have because we gave each other the, the time to do that. And, um, yeah, I, I think for me, sometimes it's a bit of an escapism. I don't want to think anymore. I don't even want to talk to Christy because I've been talking, like, my job is very much people-centric. Um, but actually, to just be really intentional is such a good challenge to do that. Sure. Oh, okay. We'll have one more, and then we'll see if anyone's got any questions they might want to ask Peter. I think uh, we were talking about lockdown as well, and um, especially what I've noticed this month, life has been more normal 
socially particularly so we're busy socially um but, but yeah compared to covid you know we got back to that kind of normal busy stuff um but i think you know i think we've got to stop thinking that this is self-indulgent you know we've got to stop thinking this is the added extra you know because i think in covid we did learn that that creativity was really really important you know it's who we are and it's it what is what was really important and if you think we were in a pandemic where at the beginning we didn't know if we were going to get wiped out you know that's how serious it was but you know like sales of paint and brushes and guitars went through the roof you know because people were like this is what's important you know this is like what I can make you know and how I can not just entertain myself but be myself you know became really really important and it would be such a shame especially in church if we lost if we lose that again because we are talking about meditating aren't we we are talking about gazing and those things have to be done really in a creative sort of way you can't skim read a poem can you you have to like like say you have to read it maybe 10 times and <laughs> but it's that kind of just going back to that slowness so i, I guess we're saying we need to release each other to be um, creative. We have to say, you know, if you say if someone says, you know, I'm, I'm, can't meet you, I'm playing my guitar for myself at home, <laughs> then, you know, maybe that's valid. You know, maybe that's valid. If we said, oh, well, yeah, we've got the afternoon praying, we'd all go, yeah, okay, great. But, you know, maybe it is something else that we have to release each other to and for, you know, unless I need you for something. Yeah, really good. So maybe now would be good. I don't know if anyone does have any questions for Peter on anything that he's um, shared this morning. You know, we're really grateful for one. Uh, let's have a little clap for Peter and everything that he's brought to us. So thank you so much, um, Peter. Um, I, I had a question to start off. I don't know if anyone else has got questions. Maybe you can not listen to my question and think of your own. But uh, it was... Um, you know, you talked about how you didn't have an appreciation for poetry and then you did. And we're talking a lot about the methods here for creativity and maybe exploring beauty. Um, what what would be your maybe your recommendations or helpful tips for someone who was maybe hasn't quite found the thing that releases creativity in them yet, like poetry or like music. They've never learned an instrument. They've never picked up a poetry book. They've never explored it. You know, you, you mentioned, just because you mentioned how you weren't interested and then you, your interest, you know, your love for it has grown and you can see the beauty in it now. What would be maybe a, a top tip for someone looking for a new way to find beauty, I guess? It's a good question. It's really good to hear everybody's reflections and stuff. Um, lovely. Um... I guess, I mean, I think there are some things that are universally agreed upon as, you know, humans just engage with well. Gardening is obviously one of them. Music, there, you know, there's, there's some of the really obvious ones. And so I would say if you haven't tried any of the obvious ones, give one of those <laughs> those a go. And I think it's, I think a part of, a, um, and every again, everybody's different, but if you're a perfectionist type, it can be really hard to take a venture into a new thing because you're not going to be very <laughs> good at it for a while. My garden's been a disaster a couple of years recently, but I really enjoy like trying to make it beautiful each year. So I think I would say, you know, if there's something like one of those really major, you know, there's probably 10 things, right, that everybody in every country in the world does to some extent, try those. Um, but it might, yeah, it might, and I think pray about it, like, you know, seek, seek the Lord for what it might be. It might look completely unlike any of those conventional forms of relaxation and pastime and beauty, you know, creating beauty. Um, but 
yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm convinced everybody has, you know, something. It might not, and, and I think it might not be the thing that you, I've, I've been fortunate in that vocationally, most of my life as an adult, I, I get to do things I love doing. Some people, that's not what, you know, you might be called to, you might be called to, to make a huge difference in some sort of, you know, educational stuff, you know, whatever it might be, but you might need to find that different way in your life to find creativity and beauty and, you know, those different things. Um, so yeah, pray about it and, and try the obvious things first and ask Christy if you run out of ideas. So it's okay if not. I, I just, I think one of the things that we, Christy and I talked about that I think was, was really helpful was about limitations, like putting boundaries around some of the stuff in life. So with that kind of question about how the world engages with some of this stuff, the fact that we now live in a, in a world where we can access literally everything makes it really hard to gaze upon beautiful things, right? So if you have, you know, obviously your streaming services and even the way music, the, the example Christy talked about was, you know, like even for us growing up, you had to buy songs from iTunes or you got the, you went and got the CD. Like I remember, you know, literally going at nine o'clock when the shop opened the day that my favorite band was. And there's something about that act of, and then you treasured this, this piece of art or this thing because you, you, there's, you know, so I think one of the dangers now is that, you know, you can, we have just such ready access to everything that it can come up very hard. It can be very hard to latch on to the good stuff and hold on to it. And, and I think there's something about, you know, there might be three or four books that have ever been written that for you are books that the Lord will use to take you on a much deeper journey with him. Right. And so there's millions of books in the world. Not all of them are very good. But there might be, you know, even of all the brilliant books, there might be two or three that you need to read 10 times in your life because the Lord will keep speaking to you through those. And so for me, one of the, I, I love like, you know, having a huge bookshelf and trying to read all the classics and stuff. Most of them are pretty dull, right? Honestly, you know, for me, right? And so it's finding those ones. So I, I've, I've already got a couple of books, a couple of poets, a couple of um, musical artists, a couple, you know, like putting some limits on these things and of course still finding new stuff and engaging and enjoying new vessels as well, but find those things, or it might be a particular book of the Bible, you know, particular friends, whatever it is, but it's, it's okay to put limitations around some of this stuff and to really dig the treasure and excavate in one area and, and just there'll, there'll be an endless sort of draw of, of the Lord's beauty in that thing for you and it'll be different for each of us. So Another thing I think to think about going away is like, what kind of limitations can I put around um, this stuff? For me, I can be really unfocused with music because I love, I love literally every style of music. But, you know, if, if, if all I do is like one day play jazz, one day play blues, one day, you know, I'm not going to get that good at any or find the new treasures within each. Whereas if I go through six months of like, all I'm going to do is study these two guys. And, you know, from, you know, so for me, that's the way I try to put a limitation on it. And, and that's actually how you then get much more involved and in-depth in, in, in things. So whatever the thing is for you, put some boundaries and restrictions in place. Um, yeah. Like you said, with a, a Bible book for the five by five, you guys, you'll pick a scripture. That is, that's the idea, right? You put a limitation. And of course, you might read something else during that five-week period. But there's something about putting this, like, this piece, we're going to really try and drink deeply from this well for this season. And you interweave it into your life then in a way that you wouldn't do otherwise. So I think limitations are really important. Yeah. Brilliant. Save me a plug as well. So that's great. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, thanks so much, Peter. It's been great. And, um, you know, just remember I'm going to get home. I'm going to, 
flip this recording. I'm going to put it online. You know, I've already checked into my flight, but I'm not checking out of my desire and want to, to seek God. So, you know, go take this summer. If you find yourself with some time and you want to re-explore some of the things we've talked about this year so far, you know, check out, go on, you know, the website or find us on Spotify, you know, Proximity Church Podcast and, and re-listen to some of this. And maybe there's some stuff that God has been speaking to you about that maybe he'll just highlight to you when you go back and, and re-listen to some of this stuff, you know, so it's really good. And for everyone listening now, he was on holiday today. You know, we've got grace and forgiveness for you. Don't worry. <laughs> they enjoy it now. Uh, okay, well, that's brilliant. Yeah, well done, everyone. Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, we're we're going to close off today. Maybe I'll just pray just to end our time together here. Um, Lord, we thank you uh, for your great example as creator. Uh, and Jesus, we, we look at you as the ultimate example of of, of both creator and the one who was created, you know, who came to, to be with us. And we want to join in with this mission of imitating you in bringing reconciliation to all things uh, by joining in with your mission of acting as creators and creating and not being fearful of our preconceptions of what it means to be creative or to have creativity but to really step in to, to where you call each of us as individuals to be creators uh, in your world, to, to bring and shape and form and uh, really physically and gritty your kingdom is real and physical as much as it is spiritual and ethereal. And God, help us to be a part of that process, we pray. Amen.